Welcome back to the Running Wine Mom podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Salinsky, a.k.a. the Running Wine Mom. Today, I have a very special guest joining us, Annabelle Monahan. She's an accomplished author, having written several books across different genres. She's also an English major from Duke University and holds an MBA from the Wharton School of University of Pennsylvania. On top of all that, she's a mother of three boys and knows what it's like to balance family life with pursuing her passion. Her latest book, Nora Goes Off Script, has garnered critical acclaim for its humor, relatable characters, and Hallmark movie-like charm. And she's excited to announce that her next book, Same Time Next Summer, will be released on June 6th. We'll be talking to her about her writing process, the challenges and joys of being a writer, and what readers can expect from her upcoming release. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest, Annabelle. Hello! Hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Thank you for asking me. I'm so glad to be here. Yes, I am so excited. And um, as I was just saying, I have had the pleasure of being able to start reading same time next summer. And I am just already in love with, as in love with it as, as I was with Nora Goes Off Scripts. So. Well, thank you. So as I like to start off my podcast with all my guests, what is your wine of the week? Now that's W-I-N-E, right? Yes, W-I-N-E. <laughs> yes. So I only drink a Pinot Noir and a Sauvignon Blanc. And besides water and coffee, that's basically all I ever drink. Um, but it's warming up. So I'd say this week I'm going for the white wine. Love it. I The Sauvignon <laughs> Blanc and Pinot Noir are my favorite. I actually have a little Pinot Noir back here. <laughs> oh, oh Nice. It is, uh, it is warmer today, but um, I, I always go for a good Pinot Noir. Um, and so what is your wine, W-H-I-N-E, of the week? Hmm, I do not have enough time. That is, my, that is my major complaint. I think that my wine and my win are the same thing, actually. Um, my son is graduating from college on Sunday. Wow, congratulations. And that's so exciting. Um, but I am traveling for a four-day extravaganza graduation. And my book is, my newest book is due the following day. So I have to finish a book and go to all the graduation festivities in the exact same amount of time. So there just aren't enough hours in the day sometimes. Yes. So all very exciting stuff, but I, I totally understand can be very stressful. I also like to ask all my guests, what are three things that you are most proud of in your life? Hmm, I think mine are boring. I mean, I'm, I'm really, I'm proud of my marriage. I have a really nice marriage. Um, and that has been uh, basically a lot of luck. I didn't really know who he was when I married him. I just kind of liked him. Um, so I'm proud of that. I'm very proud of my children, which I don't, I don't entirely think that has anything to do with me either. And I'm very proud of my work. I'm proud of my writing, um, which is basically my heart, you know, bled onto a page. So I'm proud of that. And I just have had the pleasure to kind of research you over the last few weeks and just learning all about you. And as I said to you, your resume is very intimidating with all of the <laughs> accomplishments that you have. And um, so you should be, I mean, everything that you said is something to be proud of, but I just feel as though you have a million things <laughs> that you could list too. So yeah, you know, it's funny. I, you look at your, sometimes I will see my resume or I'll hear somebody read my bio and I'll think, wow, good for her. That doesn't really feel like it's a part of me anymore. Um, and I have a child who's applying to college now. And I, I just think like looking back, it doesn't matter. 
Like that seems so important in the moment, but those kinds of accomplishments um, don't always feel as good as the personal ones. Yeah, I, I can totally, I can agree with that for sure. Um, before we get into my questions, when I was reading uh, a lot of your bio stuff, one of the things was that you love funerals. <laughs> and I, I do. Need to know. <laughs> that was something that I mean, I loved reading all the things that people didn't know about you. And that was obviously one that I picked out of it that I was, I said, I need to ask her about it no matter I don't know how it's going to fit into our conversation, so let's just get it. Uh, well, I think thematically, it's just going to be that I'm the weirdest person you've ever had on your podcast, and maybe this funeral thing will just be like the clincher. Um, but the reason I love funerals is that everybody is their realist self. You show up at a funeral, you're not so worried about which uh, funerals as compared to weddings, right? Okay. People are gossiping at weddings. Nobody's gossiping at a funeral. Every People cry. They let their mascara run down their face. People get up and just speak from their heart. Nothing's terribly rehearsed because you didn't have time. Um, and nobody's disappointed at a funeral. Like, oh, the flowers weren't right. You know, it's it's always about something bigger. And I always think people bring a big heart of love to a funeral. And having said that, I like funerals of old people, not young people. That's not, that's not fun. But somebody who's lived a hundred years, um, you know, there's always a, a lot of just love there. I agree with that. Um, everybody has positive things. No one really goes to a funeral and is saying what a terrible person this was to see. Um, so you're right with the, the a lot of love. Um, I love that perspective. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I am the running wine mom. So I like to do a little fitness and parenthood first before we get into your big, uh, your writing career. Um, and it doesn't have to be very extensive, but what is the main way that you stay active if you do stay active? So I exercise every day. Um, I am a person, I'm either going to do something every day or not at all. Um, I also have a glass of wine every day. Um, so I... I wake up in the morning and I put on exercise clothes first thing just to make sure that that happens. Um, and I either run or I go for a walk. Um, I have had periods of my life where I've done yoga. I probably haven't done it in three months. Um, but I do something every day. That's great. Movement every day is so important. And I am a health and phys ed teacher for high school kids. And oh, wow. That's what I try to teach very differently than what I was taught as opposed to just, I was an athlete and um, I, I always say, I've said it a few times so far that after I was done my um, athletic career, I kind of didn't know what to do outside of going to a practice every day. Like I didn't know how to work out. So my mm -hmm. goal in being a teacher is to teach lifelong fitness so that once they leave me, they are doing something every day, like you said, doing something, even if it's 20 minutes of walking every day. Um, right. So that's amazing. It kind of feels a little bit like taking a shower. Like you, you know, you take a shower and you feel clean. After I've exercised, I feel like, okay, now I'm ready to start my day. Um, it's just sort of a habit. Love it. And how do you stay motivated to maintain your fitness routine? Um, well, you know, I'm 53 years old. And I don't want to give you a doom and gloom story, but when you're 53 years old, if you don't move every day, like the consequences are dire. Like <laughs> you just, you're going to feel terrible. 
your digestion's not going to work. Um, so I am motivated by just trying to keep feeling good. And, um, especially in my work, like if I don't feel good, it's very difficult to be creative. It's very difficult to like be upbeat and tell happy stories. So it's, it's pretty easy to stay motivated. That's wonderful. I love that. Um, and then what struggles do you have with it? With working? Uh, I think that I, I get kind of bored. Like my treadmill, you know, in the winter, when I get on that treadmill, I, it's like a death march. I'm th- and it takes me, it takes me probably 10 minutes to get over the, God, I hate this. And then, and then, you know, you click over and it starts to feel better. Um, I think what I need to do is mix it up. I am a, I should be at a Zumba class. I should be like, I should be doing different things. Um, and maybe with people that might be good. Um, but I get, I get kind of into a rut. My Monday night workout is our dance sweat class at my gym. And it is just totally not what I ever would think that I would be loving about Mondays. Um, but I've been doing it for probably like six or seven years, Monday nights, dance sweat class. And it's the most fun ever. It's with everyone. It's pretty much all women. There are some guys that go, but we just have a great time. It's like you're What kind of music is it? It's, um, so the one that I go to, it, it's a little bit of Latin hip hop, but also like old school remixes that are like new. How fun. Little like Cardi B mixed in there. You just never know what you're going to get. She does such a great job of it, but it's definitely not anything that I ever saw myself enjoying as much as I do. So that really sounds really fun. Uh, what do you wish you learned earlier in life about fitness and, and nutritional health? Well, I grew up um, in the 80s when we were we were told that we should be eating like pasta and bagels only. And I kind of um, and my mom always cooked like really healthy, like kind of the way I eat now. But I, I went into this whole time when I was in college and then out of college when I was eating almost entirely like sugar and carbohydrates so that I wouldn't eat fat. And yeah. My body literally, like I'm practically gluten intolerant. Like I can't handle that kind of food. I was so puffy for so long. Um, I wish I'd figured that out sooner. That seems very straightforward. Yeah. I, 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 the nutritional aspect of, but probably up until recently, I feel like everything is like fat was bad. Carbs were bad. It kind of went up and down uh, of all different things. And I don't know, maybe if I'm just really more into the nutritional aspect, but I feel like I can eat everything in moderation. That's what right. I enjoy doing. Right. No, I'd go a whole day and at the end of the day, I'd think, oh, I ate two bagels today. I'm like, how was I surviving like yeah, nutritionally? Like, it's just crazy. Um, and then you said earlier that working out allows you to have your creative flow. Is there anything else that you have um, in regards to mental health and physical fitness? Yeah. I mean, I um, I don't know what the word for this is. You know, the thing, um, like sometimes you're driving and you're like, I can't believe they said that. They shouldn't have said that. You know what I should have said? I should like that where you're like going over something in your head. Mm-hmm. I feel like. A cardiovascular exercise clears all that nonsense off. Right. It's, it's like housekeeping for your mind where you're like, yeah. who cares? Let, let it go. Yeah. It definitely gives like such a wave of relief and stress relief. And it does, when I go for long runs, I could be so angry before and then I 
kind of like have the argument through my mind and it's just like it's such a nice yeah. way to kind of let it go. Yeah. Um, and then you have to come back and you have a nice attitude towards everybody you're talking to. I mean, it's just like, the, you know, endorphins are real. So yes, they really are. I truly believe in that. Um, so let's move on to parenthood. You are mm -hmm. a mom of three boys. That is, I don't know how people do more than two. I have two little ones right now. Mine are only two and a half and 11 months old. So they're really little. I have a girl and a boy, but I, I've said, I don't know how people do more than two. You're outnumbered. Okay. Can, can I just say something to you? Yeah. Um, it will never be harder than this. <laughs> okay. That's good. Where, where you are right now, like I'm starting to sweat just thinking about it. That is the hardest time physically, mentally. It's just terrible. Um, yeah, it was funny because uh, probably about like 25 minutes before we got on, I, my husband got home from work at like, you know, 720 and I'm trying to get the kids all wrangled to bed. And I still had to hop in the shower real quick. Cause I came back from my, my class as well. Um, and all of a sudden I'm just like, okay, I, I just need you to just take over because otherwise I'm not going to be able to, uh, even function in about 20 minutes. And, uh, my husband is wonderful with that. He's like, okay, yeah, go, just go downstairs, do whatever. I got both the kids to go to bed. So that's everything that makes such a difference. Yeah. Having it as a, uh, relief is really nice. Um, I did read that you said that you think three kids is easier than one. What do you, that was, I think on one of your, um, yeah. Who knows where I wrote that crazy thing, but I, um, I really do. I, um, I, when I had one child, I was so preoccupied with that child. Um, this just might be my nature. And I, I really like worried about everything about him. And then I had a second child three years later and he was like a, the most difficult baby that I've ever heard of in my life. Like he just screamed for all the time. Um, and it was so interesting because as soon as he was born, I had stopped worrying about my older child. And I was just like, and then he, you know, grew out of being a baby. He wasn't a baby anymore. And then I had these two children who kind of interacted with each other. And the, I don't know, I think I had enough on my plate that I just couldn't get too preoccupied about anything. I was just having this conversation over the weekend because uh, a lot of my friends are either pregnant with their second or just had their second. And, um, they were like, we wish that we were the way we are with our first, the way we are with our second, because it's so much more relaxed with their second. And I'm like, you can't be the way that you are with your second if you didn't have your first. Like you have no, to learn. It, it's his that. birth order is like a, yeah. a a real thing. Just try for a third. Let me tell you that I'm the third in my family. And I swear to God, my mother didn't know where I was for 18 years. Like I raised myself. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm the oldest. My husband is the middle child. So we both, we do talk a lot about birth order, which is very funny. We're, uh, we're very into that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's fairly consistent in my house. I mean, my third child does not, um, he does not get the benefit of my being obsessed with him. <laughs> you know, he's just fine. I can tell he's fine. He knows everything. He's fine. Yeah. I love that. Um, what do you think you were least prepared for in parenthood? Um, I really, I knew that I would love my children. I didn't really know how much I'd love my children. And I didn't know, 
um, how vulnerable it would make me. Um, I don't think anything in my life has ever made me quite as vulnerable as being a mom. It's, you know, they say it's like wearing your heart outside your body. It really is. Um, and as they get older and they're out in the world, it's like, it's just, um, it's a very brave thing to become a parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, like everybody says, you don't know until you know, cause I always thought, oh, I, I would know how I'll be, or I know how I'll act. And then you have a kid and you're like, this is definitely not, <laughs> nothing like yeah. I imagined. It's so much more. Uh, emotional and love, you have so much more love than you ever really imagined. But also, like, there's no days off. I, and I, I guess you knew that, right? Like, there are no days off. But also, like, didn't realize what, what that actually meant, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a lot. Um, and you are, like we said, mom of all, you have all boys. So are, you are the only female in the house unless you have female animals, right? I have a male dog. <laughs> okay. Uh, what has been the biggest challenge of raising three boys? Like how have you approached three boys or you just don't know any differently? So this is doing boy, just raising You know, I, I grew up in a household of women. It was me. Yeah. The most, most of the time it was me and my sister and my mom was a single mom. So we, you know, we kind of talked about what we were going to wear a lot. That was sort of what we did when I was growing up. Um, and I had a son and then I had another son and I was sure that my third son was a girl. Cause like, why would that yeah. just would make sense? No. Um, and I, so I've just kind of learned as I've gone along, um, it is so straightforward compared to, compared to what I remember from being a girl. Um, my kids like need a, like a crazy amount of exercise they need a ball to throw against the wall until, you know, the drywall breaks and they need tons of food. Um, and so I'm just kind of meeting those needs. Um, and, you know, without, I don't know, I'm just kind of muddling through. Yeah, boys, it, they're very basic. They just have basic needs. I, I My sister and I are like 10 years older than my brother, who um, my parents had later in life. And when... We had our now husbands and my brother was going through high school age. My mom like pulled my husband and my sister's husband aside and was like, I, I think there's something wrong with him. He doesn't talk to us. He doesn't, <laughs> you know, she was used to my sister and I not shutting up and yeah. like, no, he's just a boy. Like that's how they are. Yeah. So. No, they don't, they don't share the feelings or what happened. Um, I've, I, I hate to generalize about gender, frankly, like, yeah. oh, all boys are like this, but right. my kids, like when they have an issue or a problem, they just work it out on the basketball court. Yeah. It's not a lot of talking about the thing. Um, and I'm not sure if that's healthy or if it's not healthy. Um, uh, but by the time they come to me and say like, this is a thing that's going on, it, it's like a big thing. The big thing, right? Yeah, there, I, I definitely see that. And again, as a high school phys ed teacher, we see every single kid in the school basically every single day. And it's very much the boys can get get whatever their problem is out and then they're best friends the next day. The girls, it's like months of uh, drama. From- yeah, no, a lot of, I remember the drama. Yeah. But what I think is interesting about boys too, or it's like a, a pitfall with boys is they seem so big and tough, like, especially when they're teenagers, you know, they look like men. 
And it's easy to forget that they need a hug and they need yeah. to be listened to and they need you to sit down like sometimes like close to them. Yeah. And it's easy to forget that they're, they're still so soft inside. Yes. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. You definitely do forget about that. And that's how I, with my having a son and a daughter, I'm so interested how growing up it will be. Um, Who's older? My daughter's the older one. one. Yeah. She's already bossing him around. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> So as you said, there's a lot of energy in the house. What are like some of the favorite ways to keep everyone active and engaged through the years? Do they play sports or they just kind of? They active? always, they always played sports. My kids are 24, mm -hmm. 22 tomorrow and 17. So, I mean, I can, I'm not engaging. They're, they don't need me. Uh, but at the time when they were younger, uh, my, frankly, my best strategy was just to stay at the playground as long as possible. Yeah. So just like, keep going, keep going on those monkey bars so that we get home, you know, we eat, we get clean, we go to bed. Yeah. Um, yeah, let them sleep all night. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And also like not sweating. Um, I'm kind of a mess to begin with, but like not sweating, cleaning up all the time, yeah. um, not sweating that something was going to get broken. You know, I, I, it's kind of a fool's errand when you have kids that like to throw things to be like, oh no, no balls in the house. Like you, you could say that a thousand times a day. Um, so I sort of chose the path where it's like, I think I'm going to repaint those walls every four years. <laughs> smart, smart woman, smart. Woman. Easier. Um, so my husband is one of three boys and they are all very different. How are your boys the same? Do they have a lot of similarities? Are they very different? Like, how do you kind of work through, how did you work through that as they were growing up? Um, you know, it's kind of hard because I think of them as, you know, like, okay, now we'll do this again. Um, and they all played basketball. They all had sort of the same sports interests. Um, my kids go to public school. So it wasn't like, which school should you go to? They went to the school. Um, but they're all really different. And, um, I have one who's like super cerebral, you know, he's like a big thinker. And it, it was always sort of funny to like, you know, my, my husband and my two other kids and I would be watching a Will Ferrell movie. We're all like doubled over laughing and he's like doing Mensa quizzes on the <laughs> computer, you know, and it's, it's, it's tricky not to be like, come on, weirdo, like come with you. You have to sort of bend to how everyone is. Um, and I think it's kind of hard when you have all three of the same gender because you're, you're just like, oh, yeah, all of them. Let's all go. Let's all keep, you know, moving in the same direction. Not that separation. Um, I could totally see that. My mother was really good at this. We, I, we, I was one of three. Um, and we were all super different. And we all went to different schools. We did different. She, like, she really dialed in to who we were. Um, it is wonderful. And so what do you, what, what do you think that your parent parenting style was when you were raising the kids? If you think you had one, I know parenting styles are a new thing, but yeah, no, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm like super present and I, I've always been home. That's the other thing I've, I've been here and I'm writing at home. Um, I think I'm like, I've, I've been involved. I try to do a thing where I'm not trying to solve the problem all the time. I don't know what that is. Like, if you forget your lunch, I'm not going to bring you your lunch. 
because then tomorrow you're not going to forget your lunch. Like, I don't know what that parenting style is. Maybe it's old school. Um, but I try, I, you know, I do a lot for my kids, probably way too much, but I try to like foster a little bit of like, yes, you can go out in the world someday and do something. Life skills. Yes. You're teaching them life skills. That's something. Yeah. And, and my husband honestly does talk about the fact that, uh, anytime he would forget his homework, his parents would always bail him out of it. So he just knew his parents would always, instead of letting him get in trouble for it, they would just kind of bail it out and they obviously thought they were doing the right thing for him and he's like it made me lazy <laughs> yeah no there's something to that like you forget your homework you should have to explain to your teacher why you forgot your homework it's uncomfortable mm -hmm. but you'll learn yeah and what is one piece of advice that you would give other parents oh god don't you hate parenting advice i just think it's so um you know, it's like I could give you so much advice on how to parent my kids because I know I'm an expert on that. Um, but one thing I would say, just like looking back, um, you know, I've been at this almost 25 years, is you can always go back in time and teach your kids responsibility or teach them calculus or teach them whatever. But you can't go back in time and make somebody feel loved and worthy. Like if they didn't get that right away, if they didn't get the feeling that you were on their team, they're never going to get that later on. Um, and that's like really the most important thing. So when your child does something really stupid, which is like with my kids, I'd be like every day, um, you know, and you want to go and like, you know, humiliate them or whatever that is, because you're so annoyed about it. It's like, just think like the first thing is. I love you and I'm here for you. Also, could you not do that again? Um, that would be my advice. That's wonderful advice. And that is something that I definitely, I feel like teaching has helped me to try to just take a pause before reaction, because obviously you can't just be yelling. I, I deal with so many different kids every day and I can't even imagine so many. It's like wild. So like, Two kids actually really isn't that bad to manage when I have like 60 in one class period. Um, but like tonight, my daughter had my water bottle and she had been wanting, you know, to drink out of it. And I'm like, she's definitely going to spill it. And she spilled it, of course. And she paused and looked at me. And I'm like, it's OK. We'll just get a towel and clean up. She's like, yeah, yeah, it's it's OK. It's OK. We'll just dry it off. And I kind of thought about that as I could have freaked out and said, why did you spill that? I told you not to touch the water bottle. But in that moment, it's like, is that a big deal that she spilled the water? No. No, it's really not a big deal. Yeah. It's not, she doesn't really have the coordination at two years old to hold that water bottle anyways. That's on you. Yes, it is. It's my fault. It's so true. Um, all right, let's move into who you are. So you grew up on the West Coast, but you are an East Coaster kind of yep. from college on. Yep. Um, how did you choose to come to the East Coast and what made you, you know, choose Duke and be an English major, I guess? Uh, so I wanted to study English. Um, I like, this is just the truth. I applied to a million colleges and I got into Duke. That was the one I got into. And so I went there. Um, it was probably like the hardest school that I applied to and I didn't get into any of the easier schools. Um, and I also, I grew up in Los Angeles. I wanted to go far away to college. That was like, uh, like in me for absolutely no reason. It's just, I wanted to be away. So it, 
ticked all the boxes and they have a great English department. Yeah. And so English majors obviously do, they cover a wide range of literature. What um, was your major interest in English and my my concentration was in I think you had to pick a concentration um, was in American literature. Okay. Um, I read a lot of Faulkner. I can like hear my dad in my head right now. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> what, what are you going to do with Absalom? Absalom? Like what? Um, but it was you know it was the thing that I was good at in high school. It was really the only thing I was interested in was sitting around and reading books. Um, I also took a couple of really great writing courses. Um, there wasn't a writing major, but I loved it. Yeah. And when you got there, how did it shape like who you are and what you wanted to be? Did you know that you wanted to write books when you went in or did you want to teach or? So I, I, um, I wanted to be a writer from like the time I was five. Um, I always wanted to be a writer and I, um, I went to Duke and I read all the books and I like you know, fancied myself that I was going to get out of college and start writing books. Um, and what I didn't realize is that that's like not a thing to, that you can do. You can't hi get hired to write a book. And um, when I was a senior in college, all of my friends were moving to New York City. They all had jobs. They were moving to New York. And I was like, huh, well, I want to go where my friends are. I, how am I going to feed myself and like have an apartment? Um, so I ended up getting a job at Goldman Sachs and I moved to New York and I worked in their equities division and I had this idea that I was going to, um, I was going to write at night. So I was going to do that job during the day and then I was going to write at night. That was going to be really good. Um, but I also worked at night. So, um, I, I kind of got way off track with that, that English major dream. Oh, no, that yeah, no, that's I mean, so you moved to New York. And how long did you live there for? So I lit I did that job for two years. Um, and, you know, I was like, not, I wasn't really cut out for that job. Uh, but it was cool. Like, I and interesting, like, you know, and if you're a writer, and you're around a lot of drama, like Wall Street's great for drama, right? Like, yeah, loved it. Um, and then I, I left there and kind of the thing you do after you have a job like that, if you're not really like, you're just doing the next thing is you go to business school. So I went to Wharton, Philadelphia, um, and I was kind of on this same track and I got a MBA in finance. So I'm like way off track from what I ever wanted to do. Um, and I then moved back to New York and took a job in investment banking um, and I did that for like three years, um, until I got pregnant. And then I was like, maybe I could just not do this job anymore. And I quit. Whoa. Okay. That's... Yeah. Yeah. So, cause when I Oh, I also got married. Yeah. <laughs> not that it matters, but I got married. At some point in there of all yeah. of your, um, yeah. So when I was reading about what your, what you did in your life. I'm like, how did she go from Duke to UPenn? And then, you know, that's, I, I, I live outside of Philadelphia. I grew up um, on the Jersey side of Philly and now I live in Bucks County. So oh, do you? Um, I love Philadelphia. My aunt and uncle own a bar in Fairmont. That was probably, I mean, it's been there for almost 30 years. Wow. Um, on 20th and spring garden. So, um, 
But yeah, Philly, it gets such a bad rep, but. Um, I love it. I love, love it. Love it. Love living there. Anyways, yeah, I think I told you on Instagram that I'm like Mr. Magoo, right? I'm just like wandering around like, oh, what looks like a good idea? Uh, which leads me to my next question. That you did have a short stint at, uh, you were at Sarah Lawrence College as a writing. Um, yeah. So how did that? Um, so I, um, I took a class, an adult education class at Sarah Lawrence um, while I was writing my first young adult novel. Um, it was, the class was, I think it was introduction to the novel and I got to know a lot of people there. Like, it's really a fun place to take classes because all of a sudden you have a writing community. Um, and then that book got published and they came to me and said, would you want to teach? Oh, and then uh, the sequel to that book got published. I had two books published and they said, do you want to teach novel writing in the adult education? I was like, I think that's something I've always wanted to do. So I went and I did that for, I think I taught for three years. Um, but what I will say about that was fascinating. I really enjoyed it. I didn't write anything for those entire three years that I was teaching. Okay. Wow. That's uh, just, any, just because you didn't have time or... I had everybody's stories in my head. Okay. So it was like we were workshopping. I had like 12 people in the class. I taught, I taught with a co-teacher, uh, my friend Eileen Palma. And we had all, we were workshopping everybody's novels. And I just was, I would honestly be just taking a walk, thinking about everybody else's novels all the time. Yeah, um, one of my questions is, did it, do you think it, even though you said you didn't write, do you think it influenced your writing after that? Or like just seeing so many different styles or ways of writing? Or do you think you kind of stuck with? You know, that's, a, that's actually a really good question. Um, I, I find that the more... Um, I talk about like how to write, the more in my head I am about it. And I mostly just kind of write from my heart. Mm -hmm. So, and the more I'm in my head about my writing, it's just like, it ends up feeling kind of false. Um, so I don't think that teaching writing was a great thing for me. I think it was a great thing for me to stop doing. So I could just get back into like, what kind of a story do I want to tell? What kind of a story would I want to read? Yeah. That's and so the books that you were talking about is that the a, a girl named Digit is that the one that you wrote while you were mm -hmm. okay so and that's young adult novel that's young adults yep okay um okay so let's talk about your writing process I know you just said you don't like to think about anything about your writing is a little bit more difficult uh or uh to process get you in your head but what do you think like in a generalization of what your process of writing so there is a process. It's just not like, it's not a process I'd recommend to anyone. Um, I, I basically start out with some kind of a premise, um, something, something that like really sparks my interest. Um, and I wait for that thing to get me like a little bit carbonated, you know, just like, Ooh, yeah, I like that. And then I start randomly at some point where I've got a person and something's about to happen and I start writing. Um, and then I will keep writing sequentially until I'm at the end of the story. And usually at that point, and I know this doesn't seem like a good use of time, but at that point, I sort of know what my story is. And then I go back to the beginning. And I... I was reading something about, it might've been an interview that you did um, 
I don't know where, honestly, but it said that you don't think of your ending, like you kind of go through it and you don't think of your ending immediately, which was kind of like eye-opening to me when I was reading about that. I was like, yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, you know, from, again, from a teacher's perspective, all of our object, like our lessons and objectives, like, you know, you want this. So the way that you're going to get it is that and then you kind of work everything in the middle of it. And it's just interesting to think of a writer. Um, the problem is, is that when I start, um, I don't really know, like, I know what kind of a person I'm writing about. Right. Like I'm writing about, let's say, and Nora goes off script. I'm writing about a screenwriter for the romance channel who's never really been in love. Mm -hmm. I got a feel for what that kind of a person is. Um, but it's not until I've written most of that book till I'm like, ooh, Nora, yeah. yes. So I can't possibly tell you what the end of her love story looks like. Um, I will tell you that I like a happy ending. Yeah. So I kind of, is to the extent I'm writing love stories, I do know what the ending is. Mm -hmm. I just don't know how, I have no idea how we're going to get there. Right, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, and then you started with young adult um, writing and then you went to, went to adult fiction. How did you grow to that or how did you decide to change in that way? I think the first way you said it is the, the right way. Um, how did I grow to that? Cause I didn't decide. Um, I think that when I wrote my first novel, which, um, I was, I think I was 39 when I wrote that. Um, I, it's, it's a big thing to write a novel. You know, it's a, you're very much putting yourself out there. And even though you're writing fiction, you're telling the world a lot about yourself. Like you've written, you've read one and a half of my books. You know a lot more about me than yeah. you know, you know. Um, and so when I was writing those books, I was, um, I think I was comfortable telling the world what my perspective was as a 17 year old girl. Um, Cause like, what do I really care if you know what I thought when I was 17? Right. Um, and while I was writing those books, I started writing a column for moms. It's like a sort of ha-has for moms. My, does Volvo make my butt look big? Yeah, the book is called Does This Volvo Make My Butt Look Big? Um, but that was a column that I started writing, and um, it got picked up in a couple places. It actually turned out to be much more successful than my young adult novels were. And I was writing that every other week and I kind of started developing my grown up voice. And what I mean by that isn't really even a writing style as so much as confidence and the, um, the confidence that I could say what I really thought about my actual life and tell the whole world and deal with what they had, what they thought about that. Um, so I was kind of warming up writing this column and frankly, I wrote this column for, I've been writing for 15 years. Um, and so then when the pandemic hit and I had this, a lot of time, um, I was just ready to sit down and write my grown up book. That's, yeah. The positive of the pandemic, I guess, is what, what came out of that. That's wonderful. Uh, yeah. It was, it was a wonderful time for writers, you know, yeah. terrible for the world, but it was, you know, if you were a person who had something that you wanted to do and were always waiting for a little extra time, yeah. that was it. So how do you how do you come up with the ideas for your books? As you said, they do kind of somehow relate to you a little bit. Is it just you're like walking down the street and you're like, this is what, for example, like Nora off script where you just like, I'm going to write a love story. Did you watch a lot of Hallmark movies? And then you're like, I need to write something about one. <laughs> you know what I do? I listen for this like 
or this kind of feeling that I get when I just get like overly interested in a single topic. I know there's something there for me and I have to like keep ruminating on it. Um, and with Nora, it was, um, I had had surgery and I was stuck in bed and I was watching the Hallmark channel for three weeks straight. <laughs> and when I tell you like three weeks of the Hallmark channel is a lot of Hallmark channel. Yes. And I figured out pretty quick that that was the same movie over and over and over and over again. And I couldn't stop watching and I couldn't stop like clocking the, the time, like, wow, he's, he's going to leave at minute 108 out of 120 because he leaves. Like, I got so obsessed with it. And I started thinking about the people who write those movies. And I was thinking, what if she's just like this woman in this small town and she's never been in love and she's got this crappy husband? And what if she could have like the big romance? And then, like, that thought, I was like, oh, I love that. And so if if the thought – before I was writing Nora, I started to write a book um, that I was so bored writing that I worked on it for, like, three years and never finished it. Um, and it was because the book was boring. And I was never that excited about the idea. So I have to wait. That's where the idea comes from. It comes from something I'm excited about, and then I take it to the next level. Yeah. Um, it's funny because my – mom and well we my mom sister and i we all love the hallmark uh movies and and my dad always comes in it, it could be like it'll be a brand new movie and he'll walk in the room and be like oh i here's what happens at the end i already you know and he, he just, like, it's kind of like a joke and we're like it's new leave us alone <laughs> you know? yeah so there's slightly different clothes and coats and stuff and there was a, uh, there was actually a Hallmark convention. I think it was in 2019 in New Jersey and my mom and sister and I went to it and Lacey Chabay was there. And exactly who she is. There was a Christmas tree lighting. It was in like a random convention center and it was just, you know, everything we dreamed it would be. <laughs> I love those movies. I really do. I love, I love how they deliver on the promise. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that. I cry sometimes. I just, I do. I think they're great. They're just happy. And, you know, that's what my, my mom always says. She's like, they're just happy, a happy hour and a half that, you know, it's going to end in, in a love story. And no matter, you know, there's going to be just, you're going to feel that romance. And really that's how I felt with Nora. Um, I just felt the same thing as I was reading it. I, I just felt the love and energy and just. Thank you. I felt so happy writing that book. That was like the, so fun to write. Yeah. <laughs> Can you talk a little about the importance of humor in your writing? I don't know if it's important. It's just all I've got. Like I, I tried to write a, a really dark essay about like a sad thing one time and it turned into like a ha ha. I, I just can't, I, it's like kind of my way of, of looking at things um, is like a little bit of humor bubbles up. It's never too much humor, but um, I think I have a lighter way of, of looking at the world. Um, and I don't think that I'm the person, like, I don't think I was put on this earth to tell you the sad story. I think I was here to like make you feel a little something and feel good. Yeah, that's, I mean, we need more people like that, honestly. Well, we can't all be doing that. We'll just, we'll be like a bunch of idiots. Yeah. But, we, you know, I just think you kind of have to go in your own direction. Yeah. You were saying earlier that you like to read dark books. Yeah. I like to read dark books. Like, those are my favorite books. 
but I just can't write like that. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's gotta be so tough. Maybe I'll uh, interview one of them uh, eventually, but it is, it has, you have to really probably be in such a dark place to actually write them. Like uh, I listen to a lot of audible books because, you know, with having kids so little, it's very hard. Like, this I, I um, listen to Nora goes off script and I, I it's really the main way that I get my books because well, like I said with the kids it's just basically impossible to sit down I was reading same time next summer on my lunch break today I, before my Zumba class I was like sitting outside reading it just trying to it's really it. hard and, and honestly I'm already hooked into the same time next summer but yay um, so an audible uh, my, sometimes my phone will connect to my, um, my car right away, obviously. And my husband will like turn it on. He's like, what is this? <laughs> what are you listening to? Like what even? And I'm like, oh yeah, this is like how I calm down after work every day. He's like, what's wrong? With I find you? it really relaxing. Yeah, I do. I know. I'm like, uh, it's like really just out of what normally happens in my life, but. That's what it is. It's so far removed from my life that it feels relaxing. I think that's actually what it is. Um, all right. So let's move into talking more in depth about Nora Goes Off Script. As I said, it's we just said it's out of my typical genre. I could not resist its charm. Um, I was immediately drawn to the world of Nora. She was a struggling screenwriter trying to make her mark in Hollywood. Um, the characters were relatable. The dialogue was witty. Um, I feel, as I said, it was like a Hallmark movie. Uh, and let's just talk about it a little bit more. Well, thank um, you. So you talked about how you were inspired to write it during your uh, watching your Hallmark movies. But I also read that there is a little bit of Nora was loosely based on your mother. Uh, you know, it's funny that you say that. She, Nora, my mom was the most impractical person in the world, and Nora is the most practical person yes. in the world. Um, but I think, I think what you read is that I, my mom was a single mother, and I'm not a single mother. Um, and I, that was my research, like my childhood of watching my mom be a single mom who loved it. P.S. My mom hated being married. So she loved like she loved the freedom of being a single mom. I don't think she loved the responsibility, but just the fact that she could just make any decision she wanted to without having to discuss it with somebody. Um, but that like that little bit of scrambling and God, it would be nice to have another set of hands. Um, that was all kind of based on what I saw my mom dealing with when I was growing up. Yeah, I was going to say, as you're describing your mom, I could definitely feel that of Nora kind of like, as you said, she's very, even though she's very practical, there was still a lot of kind of like chaos around that she couldn't control that, you know, she, um, I, I don't know that she just kind of went through it, I, but loved, you could tell she, you know, loved being a mom and they, those were her, that was her first priority of was her kids was, and she sort of copes by like by making her life, you know, like we eat tacos on Tuesdays, we do this at this time every day. Like she was very sort of regimented just to control the chaos of, you know, having to deal with everything she had to deal with. And I actually see a lot of, well, I don't, again, I'm not very far into same time next summer, but Sam seems very similar in her structure that she enjoys, um, I think like in the beginning, it was talking about how she enjoys like the, the practicality of daily life. Um, 
you got to keep reading. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to say anything about okay. that. Yeah. Yeah. So at, in the beginning, she does. Yeah. Uh, we'll yeah. See how, but you know, she's she her heart is also at the beach, so we know she's got to be a little free there. You know, maybe yeah. her real self is. Um. So, what themes did you want to explore through Nora's story? Like, how did you come up with those? Uh, they sort of came up as the story started to make sense to me. Um, I, I think I was really interested in the themes of themes seems like we're in back in being English majors. Um, but sort of the idea of, of how beautiful free things are, how beautiful her life was where like the sunrise comes up every day and like, she's not paying for that. Um, in contrast to somebody who's, you know, a celebrity and has his own airplane and um, doesn't have that many really beautiful things in his life. Um, and I, I thought that was I, I kind of like the way they like the way she came to appreciate like drinking better wine because, yeah. you know, better wine is kind of nice. Um, and how he came to appreciate like how simple and wonderful her life was. Um I kind of wanted to explore, I didn't really intend to explore this, but this idea of victimhood and about taking the things that happen to you and sort of turning them around. Um, I really loved how Nora had a love story with herself and with her work. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I liked I, that all felt very empowering to me. Yeah. I, I think that is definitely something that drew me to her just obviously being someone happily married with two kids, but to see someone who was unhappily married and really making such a life for her. And as you said, with the sun, you know, with the sunrise and sunset on that, you know, that was something that I'm like, you, you know, you can't buy that. That's nothing that you like, you know, Leo could never buy that view. I mean, he could buy the view, but he wouldn't appreciate right. it as much. Um, and it, it was, I was thinking about it because I, like a few years ago I took like a random Coursera course and it was the um the science of happiness by hmm. um one of the professors from Yale University and it was one of the most you could take it for free I think I paid $50 for the cert for it because I was so, I'm writing this down yeah the and I can message it to you after okay well, do um, this the science of happiness and it was so eye-opening because you know society obviously tells us like we want big things. We want to have a private jet. We want to be traveling all the time. And basically she was kind of saying that research really doesn't show that you're any happier. Obviously there's some thresholds of different ways, but um, like Nora can be much happier than Leo is, but you would look from the outside at their lives and think that he automatically has to be happier. But, um, like, yeah. of course, it says, like, you can be sitting at your grandma's house having cookies and be just as happy as someone who's yachting in, you know, Italy for the week. Yeah, I really, I really believe that to be yeah. true. And I, I really that, do. That really has changed the perspective of me because, you know, especially with social media and everything, you always see people that are just like doing everything's like happy and this. And you're like, why is everybody so happy on Instagram? I, I know. Well, what are they doing? <laughs> so, uh, I know, like, you, and once you have a real conversation with them in real life, you're like, you're like 
answerable, but your pictures that you posted last week yeah. seems like. I know. I think this is something we really need to just keep talking about so that we remind ourselves that it's true because everybody is living a better life than you are on Instagram. Yeah. And um, like with mine, I try to show the different sides of motherhood or like just being open about motherhood. You know, when I became a mom, that was something that I'm like, oh yeah, everyone's just like, living their lives with these babies and they're all sleeping through the night and eating perfectly. And then you're like, why is it my kid doing that? It's very yeah. confusing. Yeah. Why am no, I it's, crying? <laughs> it's really hard. And I think it's more emotional with your children too, that yeah. you're thinking, oh, what, what have I done to ruin my children that they're not eating whatever? Yeah. 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 Um, so let's continue on with the mother. Uh, you know, how, besides your mom, was there anything else that influenced you creating Nora's role as a mother? Um, how else did you kind of figure out how wonderful she was as a mother? Um, I think she kind of told me her own story. Um, you know, she was, I, I knew that she loved her children above all other things. So I just sort of followed that, um, her routines a little bit like mine. Um, she's not like me at all in any way, besides that she's a writer. Uh, but I gave her my route to my daily routine. Um, but no, I think I kind of think she told me her own story. What about how did you decide where to set the book? Like, how did you? Well, that was actually deliberate. So I wanted her to be um, for the story to work out. First of all, I wanted her to be economically not too close to New York City. Because if you're too close to New York City, people are commuting into the city and your house is much more expensive. Right. So I wanted her to be far enough out of the city that people were working up there yeah. in a, like a self-sustaining town. Um, and I wanted it to be far for her to get to the city. Um, so it's sort of like, I think it's 70 minutes outside the city is where I set her. Um, um and then I kind of wanted the fauna and flora of what she looked like um, to be a little bit like where I live. Um, so I kind of modeled the outside after where I live. Yeah, I can, I can, you know, I can totally see that with the, uh, I think people, when people just think of New York, they just think of New York City, but they don't think of all the um, like wilderness kind of. Feeling. Oh, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. It really is. Um also, the other question that I had was, was it purposeful to have her create her most successful script while going through like what's supposed to be one of her most difficult times in life? Yes. Uh, and the reason why, so she writes a, she writes a film about a screenplay about her divorce, um, after she's been writing these Hallmark movies forever. And, um, that was true. Like that was her truth. It was like the, you know, the raw, horrible truth of what happened to her. And I think that that's really our most successful thing we can give the world, right? Rather than just like wrapping everything up in a nice little bow, you know, like a little bit of um, reality and heartbreak on the page um, is probably what sells. So that's what happened to her. Yeah. Um, was there anything like that you had to cut out like scenes or plots that didn't work as you were going through the writing process? You know, it was a really short book um, by the time, like when I sold it, it was a really short book. So I had things I had to add during the editing process um, more than cut out. My editor made me write a sex scene. There was no sex. Um, and if you're thinking back of the book and you're like, was there any sex? It was one paragraph. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was like I struggled with it like you wouldn't believe. 
Um, so no, most of it was adding stuff back in. Um, and then, so growing up in LA, did any of the Hollywood glam, like, was that part of anything that you remember growing up or did you do like different research on it? Yeah, no, not well research. I kind of Googled like what all those trucks are called. Like, you know, I don't know all the, the Hollywood lingo. Um, but I do, I did grow up watching every single Academy Award. Like we would have, we would eat dinner in front of the TV. We would get dressed up. My mother would have voting cards for all the movies. We saw every movie. Like, I, I mean, I saw every movie growing up that was for, for 20 years. Yeah. That was kind of, um, that's what you do in Los Angeles. It's like, a, that's, that's what the town is. So I didn't really know Hollywood people. We weren't Hollywood people, but um, that, yes, that was very much just a part of my experience growing up. Um, did you have a favorite moment or like particular scene in the book that you? Yes, I do. I, I have a very favorite scene. Um, and I actually can't say what it is cause it would be a spoiler. Yeah. They're, they're sitting by a fountain outside. Um, but I'm not going to say where they are cause that, I can't say it. Yes, I love. Yes, I, I got it. Um, what do you hope that the readers take away from Nora's story? Uh, I hope that that readers read it and feel joyful and have a smile on their face when they finish. Um, I don't want to teach anybody a lesson, but I do hope that they take away this idea that we can take care of ourselves, um, that we can make something out of nothing. Um, and that we don't necessarily need somebody else to support us. Um, you know, everybody has something that they can do that, um, can bring them along in life. And we, you know, we have more inside of ourselves than, than we know. Yeah. And that's, I, I feel as though I personally took away that watching Nora be in such a vulnerable place in her life. And anybody in her position would think like life is over. This is it. Um, and and to see her really come out, um, kind of on top is something that's really you know just to watch her be happy. Yep. <laughs> yep. We can all be happy. I hope. Um, so in the Peloton um, group, I had said that I was interviewing you, and I had some. I said if anybody has questions, like you know, oh fun. So I picked three um, questions um, that I thought were like fun. Uh, and the first one was, do you consider this book more of a uh, woman's fiction or a rom-com? Ugh, you know, I love that question. Um, and I, when, when Putnam started marketing this book, they didn't know. And they said, we're going to just market it as both and see what happens. Okay. And the romance people picked up this book. I thought I was writing women's fiction. Um, and apparently I wasn't. So it's, it's the, the romance world has, has embraced this book. I, so am I allowed to ask, a, this one's kind of like a spoiler one in regards to the ending. Um, you asked me if I knew how it was going to end. <laughs> it's like we're the CIA. I picked this because I was questioning the same thing, but it was, do you, did you think about her ex-husband coming back? You know, it's funny. I, I had early readers say to me, where is he? Yeah. And I never occurred to me in a million years that he'd come back. I didn't want to see him. I never wanted him on screen in my mind. You know, I never, ever wanted him to come back. Um, but I could see how it would make sense. Uh, but he was so absent 
for everything. I, I actually didn't want him, I didn't want him sort of sullying anything. Yeah. And I felt like you did a, a good job of that. Like not even making him really relevant. Like he kind of just was like the, a person. That was, yeah. I mean, not that he wasn't relevant, but like, you know, he wasn't, uh, and I feel like if you would have had him come back, that would have been like a weird, uh, you would have had a had a lot more about him, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, and then it would have been a whole extra thing. Yeah, I just didn't feel like it. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> Which actors do you imagine for Nora and Leo? You know, I, I struggle with this question because everybody that I can think of, I think is probably too old. Um, they're 39 and 40, and I never pictured any actors while I was writing this. Somebody said Keanu Reeves at a bookstore the other day. And I thought, God, that's interesting. I imagine Leo just like, I mean, now that you say Keanu Reeves, like kind of like him is what yeah. I imagine what he looks like. Um, so I think you, I mean. And you know who I love is Leslie Mann. Okay. Yes. I could. You know, she's kind of funny and quirky and wonderful, but I, I don't know. Can we just have Jennifer Lawrence? She's so, I just love her so much. She would, she would be wonderful for Nora, I think. I agree. You could also like go into the Hallmark movie categories of, you know, who would play them as well of, of their uh, bank of. Uh... This is all so out of my hands that uh, let's let the professionals take care of this. Yes. Um, all right. So let's talk about same time next summer. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? So that is a book about, she's younger, she's 30 years old. Um, Sam Halloway is returning to her parents' beach house with her fiance. And she runs into the love of her life named Wyatt. And he is there and it goes back and forth in time between when they were teenagers and now, and it sort of unravels what happened between their families um, at, at the time when they were teenagers and they broke up. And what's happened to her since? Um, and it's it's a book about you know who we are when we go home, um, and all the sort of defenses that we build up when we're away from home, and how it's kind of hard to to fake it when when you get back. Um, it kind of loosely is based on the Philadelphia story. Do you know that movie? You're from Philadelphia. I am from Philadelphia. You got to see that movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know I know it, but I just haven't. I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen it, actually. No, yeah, it's a really old movie. Yeah. Um, but Catherine Hepburn goes home to get married, and Cary Grant, her ex-husband, is living next door. And she has sort of put on this hard exterior since he's broken her heart. And... Um, it's such a wonderful, wonderful movie. I got way off track from that basic premise, but um, that was kind of the inspiration for it. I'm just in the beginning of it, but um, just the feeling, I could feel the, the small town of it. And like, you know, like I said, I actually, like I said, lived down the shore for all the time, but that time, but I'm still so close with everyone. We were just down on Saturday night and going out and seeing people that you hadn't seen in so long. And it's like, that's so fun feeling of like, we were all 21 when we started down there and the growth that we've all had, we are not the same people that we were then, but you know, you just have this like release of like, you are, we say, we say we're always 27. So I was like, yeah, I was 27 again. You know, it was just. I'm always 36. Okay. Yeah. That's how old I am right now. So. Oh, stay there. 
That's perfect. <laughs> it's a great year. Yes. It is. Well, yes, I like, I like my thirties are great so far. So, and I just think it keeps getting better and better. It really does. Um, I actually saw on the back, um, the quote from, um, Ellen Hildenbrand. Um, and I'm going to meet her in June at, uh, she's coming, she's from actually Collegeville from Pennsylvania and she's coming to Newtown, um, right by where I live, uh, in June. And I was like, I got tickets to see her. This is so fun. Is this right when her new book comes out? The five star weekend? Yes. Yeah. I think so. I think her new book comes out honestly, like June 12th or something. It's a week after mine. Yeah. And yeah. And I'm seeing her June 13th. Um, so that is so exciting the day before, but yeah, I'm really excited, um, to meet her and, and I do, you know, I, I read one of her books last month as well. Um, she has so many good ones and I, uh, same time next summer kind of has like a little bit of the, the beach feel with it all. Yeah. Well. Thank you. She's such a lovely person and she's been so generous to me like reading my books and talking about them. And I mean. It's amazing. I'm excited to meet her as well. Um, I saw it's dedicated to Stephanie. Who's Stephanie? She's my sister. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, she's the best. Yes, I I saw it. So how did you just how do you decide who to dedicate your books to? Do you just like you know it's actually not that easy. I um, you know Nora felt like kind of the ultimate love story, and I dedicated it to my husband because of he's kind of a lover, and. After Nora came out, my sister went on practically to every book event that I did, like got on airplanes to go. Um, she is an incredible support. And then when I was finishing same time next summer and I kind of got myself into it, like a little bit of a time crunch, she took me in at her house and she locked me in her attic and left snacks for me so that I could finish that book. Um, so that seemed like kind of she was the easy, obvious person to dedicate that book to. That's wonderful. Um, and then, like, what kind of research did you have to do for this novel? Did you go, do you guys go summer down there? Or I don't summer, I summer at home. Yeah. Um, but my sister has a, a place in Long Island. And I, it's not the same kind of Long Island that I write about in this book. But her husband was actually great with, um, had a lot of questions about hedges, I, I just like how they work. Um, he's an expert on hedges and he's also a surfer. So he read all the surfing passages. You know, you hate to be like some woman who writes a, a book about a lot of surfing and you say it all wrong. You know, that would be so embarrassing. Um, so he read all that for me. That was really helpful. That actually, it's funny. That just reminded me. I don't know if you watched Sex in the City, but oh, yeah. he was dating the burger, the writer, and he wrote one of his passages was about a woman in New York who lives in New York City and she wore a scrunchie. And Sarah Jessica Parker, Carrie was like, I loved the whole book, whatever, whatever, but a scrunchie? Like she would never wear a scrunchie. <laughs> and it was kind of like the demise of their relationship. Uh Right. His research and ask a New York City woman. So I think it's wonderful that you No, you need help. Yeah. Um, and do you know Jane L. Rosen who wrote um a shoe story and she has on Fire Island coming out? Yes. yes. Um she she's great. She on Fire Island comes out like in two weeks, I think. Okay. Um she read same time next summer and corrected and the copy editor didn't even get this. It's you drive down Sunrise Highway, not you drive down the Sunrise Highway. 
Okay. Yeah. I don't live on Long Island. I didn't know. No one knows that. Right. Um, so you got to have a lot of people read your books. Yeah. And I, I do feel as though it's important, um, like when you're writing about a real place that it is specific to it. I, again, I read um, Hidden Pictures. I think last month I read Hidden Pictures. I don't know if you're right. But anyway, there was like South Jersey-ish area. And there was a lot of stuff that I was like, that's, I know that place or I went there. And if they said it wrong, I would be like, no, and you, that's, that's why for the most part, um, I write about made up places, um, because you really have to be right. You really make people bananas. Um, if you, if you write about an actual place and you get it wrong. So I don't know, I, I err on the, the made up town side. All right. So I have two more questions for you. First, I know that, you know, same time next summer is not yet out, but do you have any plans for after it does come out? What do you have next for you after this wonderful book? hits? What am I writing next? Yeah. So I'm writing a book about a, um, a professional organizer whose life is a total mess. Ooh. Yes. I love this book. <laughs> I just had to like finish it and yeah. make it it's not quite right at this particular moment um there's a little bit of work done but that um that's going to come out the following summer okay yeah i love the idea of that i love the idea of uh your again your outside persona kind of like we were saying about instagram the outside persona is very different than the uh inside persona yes that will be wonderful. yes um and what advice would you give in aspire to aspiring writers i I, I, this advice, you're going to want to smack me because it's like, there are no cheat codes. You have to write consistently and it's exactly like running. You know, you start and it's terrible. You try to run a mile, you're exhausted, but then you start waking up in the morning with the urge to run because you've gotten in shape for it. Uh, it's exactly like that. Uh, so you can't just you know, write sometimes. You have to come up, you know, carve out 15 minutes a day to write every day. And it just gets easier and easier. I mean, it's never completely easy, but it does get easier. You just got to stay after it. I think that's great advice. And I think yeah. that I love the comparison to the running because I can definitely relate, you know, I can relate to that, um, especially with being postpartum. And I used to be able to run long, long, long distances. And it's like, I can't just go out and run because I've been out, you know, not practicing and yeah. writing it seems. Yep. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your inspiring journey. Um, I hope that everyone found this insightful and, and, as, and as enjoyable as I did. Don't forget to mark your calendars for June 6th when Annabelle's latest book, same time next summer, hits the shelves. It's the perfect summer read. And for more updates, make sure to follow her on social media at Annabelle Monahan. We're on Instagram, right? Anywhere else? Uh, I'm also at Annabelle Monahan on Twitter, but I almost never say anything. So don't, don't get too excited about that. I'm mostly on Instagram. And I'm also at Annabelle Monahan on Facebook. Well, thank you. Seriously, uh, I loved this conversation. It was so amazing um, to have with you. Thank you. Um, I loved it too. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, and to all the listeners out there, I hope you keep following along with me at the running wine mom underscore for more fitness, motherhood, and wine. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe, like, and review the podcast. Thank you again for joining us today. Happy reading, and I'll see you next Tuesday.